0: I'm Lisa. And I'm Sean.
1: We're a married couple, and we like to talk about the, the Beach Boys. Well, hi. Hi. Welcome to Two Next with Lisa.
0: And uh, Sean.
1: And uh, Sean? Yep. Not the Sean.
0: No, just just one of us. That's all.
1: Oh, okay. So. We're here in beautiful New Buffalo, Michigan. Yeah. Have we recorded here before?
0: I think we have.
1: Yes, we did. Okay.
0: Episode 18, I believe, of whatever the hell it is we do.
1: Well, we're us. That's. The we're thing. us,
0: which means we probably just talk about the Beach Boys all the time. And we're
1: time. here in New Buffalo because we usually come here on our anniversary weekend.
0: Oh, isn't that sweet? It's isn't our anniversary like weekend. And just so happens that the, the day we're recording this, not necessarily releasing, uh, if we if we get this released today, then there's some serious issues we need to discuss. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, um, yeah, 60 years ago today, the Surfer Girl album was released. And those of you who follow us on Facebook know that I had to ramble on about that for really no good reason, because it's not one of my favorite of their albums. It's also not my least favorite either. but yeah.
1: But it's one of the things that put them on the map.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Usually their location would put them on the map, but what are you going to do about it? One curious thing that uh, last time we did not mention at all when we did our usual, hey, we're going to horse around a few minutes before we start talking about today's topic. We didn't mention the sudden shower of AI Beach Boys thingies that uh, I thought, was it Day, Day Woo or I don't know, somebody on YouTube was doing Like, for example, all I want to do with AI fed through it so that it sounds like Brian is singing it. And it was really pretty frighteningly eerily very much sound. I I would have believed it that it was Brian. But the thing is, what I found personally is that the more of those AI things that came out, the less believable it was. For example, there was a um, somebody did, uh, I think it was the same person, did the same thing with Be My Baby. In an attempt to make Ronnie Spector sound like Brian. And I don't think it worked at all. It still sounded like a woman was singing it. In fact, I would be more inclined to believe that it was Marilyn singing it. So, I don't Have you listened to any of that stuff?
1: The only one I listened to was uh, the Guess I'm Dumb, which I actually thought was a an uncovered gem that had never surfaced before. And then I'm like, oh, it's A.I., Pass that kind of thing. I guess it's interesting to do as a what if yeah. or an experiment, or to just play around with this technology. But I don't really care. It's if it's fake, I don't want to hear it. Like it's it's just I, it's not worth my time, really.
0: Like if you ran a store, it's not something you would play over the sound system, well, probably. No. And even then, that guess I'm dumb. The problem with that is that. That was Brian's 1968 voice, well, really.
1: Yeah, yeah Brian's mean,
0: voice it's... did evolve like even before he started to sound like an ashtray.
1: I mean, it wasn't quite accurate yeah. for the time. I mean, it was interesting cuz I always would, you know, I always wanted to hear Brian sing that song and I was kind of wondered why he never did lay it down himself or why it wasn't one of those things that ends up in another song 30 or 40 years later. <laughs> well, part it of it be-
0: did end up in Haddephonea, but
1: still. Okay, yeah, but that's hmm. mm. 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 I mean, I'm I'm saying really really using it, yeah. where it would be recognizable, but
0: Yeah, I think that same person who did all that stuff recently, I'm talking just within the last 3 or 4 weeks, did an entire smile thing with Brian. Like it it was, it was another one of those here, like a fantasy of what the, the album might've sounded like in 1966. It wasn't just following the 2004 version. That one, I'm going to have to say, I seriously enjoyed it. And I actually downloaded it because these kind of things disappear from YouTube because somebody finds out about them and the copyright police yanks them down. But
1: yeah, I mean, it's not anything I'm going to get all bent out of shape out over. The only AI thing I think I really could see myself caring about, and this is where AI might actually be a useful thing, when you can use it to create something that is simply not possible through other means. And by that I mean a true stereo good vibrations. If AI Oh
0: man if
1: AI could and it can, we know we know that the possibility exists that it can yep. it can take existing Beach Boys tracks and whatever and learn it and you could essentially make multi-track vocals. Yep. And then properly edit it with the multi-track backing tracks that still, you know, those tapes still exist. Mm-hmm. And make, basically create what we know we can't have otherwise. Oh, yeah. That I would care about. Yeah. Because it would also be honest. It's like, here it is. We were able to use AI to recapture tapes that were lost long ago. That I could care about. But yeah. anything else, it's like, eh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, like, AI is... There's... It's such a broad term anyway. Yeah. I mean, AI is used in the post-production of this episode you're listening to right now.
1: I mean, I heard something... Oh, what was it? What was that Beatles thing that was done using some AI, like...
0: Well, I did hear a God Only Knows where the AI tried to make the vocal sound like Paul and fail miserably. No, no,
1: no. No, there was... Oh, was it... Wasn't it like something using another Lost John track. and Oh,
0: yeah. Well, that's different. That's also AI used in a different way.
1: Okay, but the thing is, and again, that's something like, yeah, I don't care because that's not really John and blah, blah, blah. But I did read something. It was either Danny Harrison or Sean Lennon wrote something defending. Oh. Because it was a perfectly sanctioned project. And... The argument was that when you think about it, in a way, artificial intelligence has been used in the editing process of everything going back quite a ways. Yeah, right. Like um, um Auto-tune? Yeah, like how auto-tune is, in a way, a form of, of that or, or related to that. Or it's like how the editing that's used in music more and more so in the uh once we got into the digital era it's like yeah you're still not hearing exactly what the artist laid down in the studio yeah so it's kind of they're like this is just another tool that can be used so it's not like we're trying to rewrite history or yeah, anything and like that. So it's basically like, just shut up and enjoy it.
0: <laughs> and even then you have people say, oh, you can't... Like, for example, uh, The Beatles, Love Me Do, the first version they recorded on September... Well, not the very first, but the version they recorded on September 4th, 1962 with Ringo Starr on drums. Any official version, you're going to buy that in stores brand new, is at least a second generation copy because they literally destroyed the original master tape. Yeah. So... People will tell you the only way you're ever going to hear it the way it was meant is if you can track down an original 45 of it. But then there are people who say, even then, the only real way you're going to hear, you would ever hear it in its purest form is to have been in the studio with them when they were recording it. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah.
1: Well, it's just like a retouched photograph. It's like how many pictures that you see... Posed photos are all retouched. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, all seriously. they're all manipulated, or even even um, senior portraits for high school kids. Like they can take out freckles, or even out skin tones, or I mean, they can do all kinds of quick manipulations on those pictures yep. to make them look better. So been, it's
0: they've been done for decades. So
1: it's kind of this is really not a new thing. It's just. It's just a different type of technology, but it's still doing the same purpose. So
0: Seriously, yeah.
1: It's just how you look at it. It's just everybody's getting all bent out of shape and thinking, oh, this is Stanley Kubrick predicted this because he had a movie called AI and it's going to take over the universe and we're all going to blow up or something.
0: <laughs> you know when I experienced a blow up? What? Probably about 30 years ago when I was on, I don't think it was like one of those like... Post a message and it's right there, live kind of forums. But I think it was the original incarnation of what is now, yeah, now because it still exists and there are still messages going across it now. And then PSML Pet Sounds mailing list. Oh god, list. that's
1: still around. Back in Boy.
0: '93, when I first heard about it, it was actually it was it was like two or three prior owners. It was a weekly email digest that was maintained by Ethan Jones. Every week, he would send the email out that had all all the messages in it, and you'd reply to him, and then people would see him the following week and all that. And I noticed that there was a lot of crossover in that, because a lot of people were talking about the Beatles. And I'm going to drop his name now, because this was 30 years ago. It is certainly past the statute of limitations. The David Procopi tape sets that were out... And this is how long ago it was. His smile tape set. His famous smile tape set. Literally two Max L's that had post-it notes labeled at tape one, tape two. The smile tapes he did were only two tapes. Most people remember it as three. Before the third tape, he only did two tapes. He had that. He had a Pet Sounds tape. Eventually, he did... Well, it was a two tape, actually. 190, 160. He had a 1965 tape that I think was basically outtakes from the two main albums, Beach Boys Today, Summer Days, Summer Nights. And he also had a Beatles tape set. So I figured, okay, he's a Beatles fan, as well as being a Beach Boys fan, because he spent the money on those bootleg CDs that he compiled into tapes. There was a lot of mentions of the Beatles in the, the Surf's Up mailing list, as it was called back then. So I asked this question, is it safe to assume that Beach Boys fans are also Beatles fans. Because, hey, I'm a Beatles fan. The Beatles were the gateway to the Beach Boys for me. Wow. I did not know. What's the expression? I did not know that I would have to wear um, underwear that could protect me from fire.
1: In other words, you would have to don your flame-proof undies.
0: Good Lord, how (laughs) massacred I got.
1: I mean, it's like suggesting that you could be a Bears fan and a Packers fan at the same time. Might as well. Which, seriously, is something that cannot exist. It's like trying to put two magnets together. Like, it's, it's not going to happen.
0: And you know what happens when you try to force those positive poles together? According to my science teacher in junior high, you'd essentially have an A-bomb. Yeah, which would happen if somebody <laughs> yeah.
1: tried to be a fan of both the Bears and the Packers at the same time. Yeah. But the yeah, Beatles and Beach Boys.
0: Yeah. I was shocked because a, a lot of Beatles fans respect the Beach Boys and are also Beach Boys fans. <laughs> we got two of them talking right now. But it just made me aware over the years, as I've observed, that there is what I like to call beatles envy Mm -hmm. among beach boys fans
1: and it doesn't go both ways like beatles fans are in their own happy existence and they don't look at anybody else and be like oh man your artist is so great and i wish i had what you had i disagree really
0: oh big time i'm one of them
1: yeah well we're not talking about you (laughs) oh boy we're talking about like other people i'm other people But I just don't think people go Beatles fan... Beatles, maybe they do, but not to the extent that anybody else would have.
0: All right, I'll put it to you this way. 1990, we had Beatles CDs, all their core albums, and their singles were out on CD. That's it. No bonus tracks, no two-on-ones, no nothing, no extensive liner notes on anything except the Sgt. Pepper's album. The Beach Boys, you had two albums on one CD Mm -hmm. with bonus tracks on every single one of them. Extensive liner notes in every single release.
1: Yes, but to be fair, first of all, in 1990, you didn't really have a lot of bonus tracks and extensive liner notes for anybody, really. It's more like Beatles fans probably were like, they weren't upset about things that they didn't even know that they should have been upset about. Because the Beatles CD releases until, yes, until, uh, what was it, 2009, yep. were very slim. But I think people were just happy to have the stuff on CD. Like, they didn't know that they should have been upset about it. Oh, I knew. Uh, and actually, a lot of people again, did. Again, we're not talking about
0: you. A lot of people did because it was standard for CDs to have more tracks than... The tape and vinyl corresponding versions. But
1: wasn't it only just around that time that the CDs were starting to offer more simply because they could?
0: I don't think so. I seem to remember going back to when commercial CDs were starting to become a thing. That was one of the ways to entice people to make the switch Mm. over to those little laser discs. Hey, if you buy the CD, you're going to have this extra track. Case in point, the Beach Boys self-titled album. The 1985 album, if you bought it on CD, you also got this amazing extra single track that you did not get on the vinyl version. You'd have to buy the single separately. And it was, was a little that? song called Male Ego. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Maybe in that case, <sighs> people would have been willing to pay just say, yeah, I'll just buy the record. I like,
1: I'll, I'll pay you to not put that yeah. on there. <laughs> but the, uh, or you, you, it comes with a copy of the vinyl single that you could take outside and- throw in the air and shoot with a gun. Or that. But the thing is, okay, in 1990, maybe the, I mean, not maybe, because the Beach Boys releases were definitely better than what was on the market for the Beatles. However, in 1990, you could buy all the Beatles albums on CD.
0: That's very true. The Beach
1: Boys, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Well, in
0: 1991, you could.
1: Yeah, if you were lucky and you knew yep. where to look. I mean...
0: And if you were that much of a fan at the time, which I was not. I did, I never even heard of Sunflower when I saw it in the store. I was like, what the hell is this? And the
1: Twofers were not... The Beach Boys Twofers were not in print for a very long time.
0: Yeah, they were in print because, for four years.
1: Because in 95, 96, I was dating a guy who lived in New York City, because he was going to grad school there, and... I actually went to a lot of the record shops, CD shops in New York, to try to find the two that I never bought because I didn't buy all of them when they first came out.
0: Me too. Yeah. And
1: I was—I think I was able to find maybe one U.S. release, and then I found in a CD shop called NYCd. Isn't that cute?
0: Oh, that's just. Dumb. I think it was on
1: like Amsterdam or something. Um, I found. Two twofers that were actually from the UK, but they were pretty much the same as the US, yes. just slight differences in the packaging. Yeah, and the rest of them, my boyfriend actually, he was a classical musician, so he would join those uh, Columbia House deals with using like his brother's names, <laughs> so that he could keep getting the you know ten CDs for a penny or mm-hmm, whatever that mm-hmm. was, because he, he wanted to stock up his um, classical repertoire and, and buy classical CDs. Was oh, he
0: all about the Deutsche Grammophon?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> no, he, that's That was his favorite. But I was able to find... Columbia House actually offered some of the two So he let me use a couple of his penny selection. Or I, I think I actually had to sign up for a membership for him in my name <laughs> to get him more CDs. And I was able to get the last twofers that way and that was only 95 96
0: yeah i mean i lucked out in that i finished up my collection right after they went out of print so they were still findable
1: but again this was in new york city you would think you would be able to find things easier in new york city no no
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, for what it's worth, you could still get the actual albums. You just had to buy them on individual CDs, and you didn't get the bonus tracks. Well,
1: and that's the thing. The individual CDs, they took a page out of what they did with the Beatles, which is putting out just single CDs, no goodies.
0: The only exception was Stack of Tracks, which actually included the stuff that... uh,
1: The booklet.
0: The booklet and everything, which was not on the 1990 or the 2001 reissue.
1: Yeah. But it... It was pretty weak, but yeah. I mean, we're talking about Capital here.
0: <laughs> well, was it the Cap was it Capitol's decision to do that or was it the Beach Boys decision to do that? I don't know. But we don't know. But I the don't fact know. is,
1: again, it still was extremely hard to find any Beach Boys album on C D from nineteen seventy on. Yep. Again, those were very blink and you missed it. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. And when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't all that long before you could get them again, because in 2000, all the albums from Sunflower to the 85 album were issued in two for format. No bonus tracks, unfortunately. And you can still get them to this day. I think the exception for some reason is the one that has MIU on it. it, (laughs) I forgot. I think it's paired with uh, LA. People are reporting having a really hard time finding that. Oh, (laughs) boo-hoo. That's that's, a... People who know me well know how I feel that's about a, those two albums. It's a
1: favor to society.
0: <laughs> oh, I remember buying that at uh, at Jack's in Red Bank, New Jersey, and the guy looked at me and said, "I can't believe you're actually buying this."
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why you do not have a hard time finding MIU on vinyl at flea markets, used record stores, etc. Because people wanted, they bought it. Took it home, listened to it, and was like, "What? The thing is,
0: it. how did it only get to number one fifty-one? Because I have never, I see that, st- I see Miu out there and used stores and flea yeah, markets all the time. But, Who's who bought
1: those things that they're still? Pour- well, keep in mind that those may not have necessarily all been purchased copies. They may have been copies That's that true. record stores had to dump. That's
0: very true, and yeah.
1: just ended up in. I, I mean, I don't know how. Yeah, this... Meanwhile,
0: I can't find an old sunflower to save my. Not that I want one. because well, we already because have? We already have a couple. The
1: people who did buy sunflower held Kept on them. to it. Yep. <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, I don't know how record stores get rid of unwanted stock. But I mean, yeah, they may have ended up in a Salvation Army or a Goodwill. Like they may not have True. all just ended up yeah. in a dumpster. They may have been just given away.
0: That's also and why t- you don't see Beatles albums in the scene. Same... <laughs> Oh, actually I take it back, somebody found a butcher cover for ten bucks at a at a oh vintage shop just <laughs> oh. not long ago.
1: Well no, you do find Beatles albums. They're like copies of Meet the Beatles that are like completely wrecked because they were played so much and kissed and Put under somebody's pillow at night. And With it has,
0: marker on it. I love John. Or,
1: or like some girl's name or something. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's,
1: like, it's like this record was loved.
0: A little bit too much. And yeah. it's loved to the point where it's not worth a damn anymore. Yeah,
1: it's got masking tape all over it. <laughs> hey, I still
0: remember seeing a copy of Meet the Beatles at Fest, And it was in beautiful shape. And they only wanted like 15 bucks for it. And then I found out why. It's because, like, there, you see, like, Marsha written on the top, like, in, <laughs> in someone's pen. And I was like, oh. And you told me, if you had this album yourself, would you be wanting to sell it? I said, of course, no. Then buy it. Because, you know, if that's the only thing wrong with it, it's still going to play back. Well, yeah, you Yeah, if you're the record right.
1: itself is in good condition. And, and I mean, again, this was some girl's record.
0: Yeah, and as uh, – Somebody you and I both know, his name is uh, Steve Levitt, would probably say this provenance, lo- provenance, or, I guess.
1: Or he would say, this was loved.
0: Yeah, as he would say about John's guitar. Yeah. But what exactly is prompting this whole discussion of Beatles envy? Like,
1: Well, I mean, I think I remember back when we first talked about creating this podcast, this was one of the first topics we had on our list just because it is pretty pervasive that Beach Boys fans are always... I mean, even if you love the Beatles, you're still going to sometimes look at the Beatles and be like, huh, like, why didn't the Beach Boys get what they got? And there is that kind of lingering feeling that, I mean, especially in the United States, they were on the same label, Uh but yet the Beatles got far more promotion, far more tie-ins and marketing. And it just feels like the Beach Boys were always kind of like, they were always going to be number two. And and I mean, granted, back in the 60s, there was no other American band, not artist. There were plenty of solo singers and duos who were, out there doing very well, but I'm talking a band, like guitar, bass, drum, lead singer, that kind of thing. The Beach Boys were the only American band that could even think of, as they said in that thing you do, challenge the Beatles to a hair combing contest. Yeah. And I think the Beatles looked towards the beach boys in that way. Not not being snotty about no, of course it. Like, not. Oh, you're yeah. not you're the only band that can compete with us. It's more like they knew the beach boys were definitely on a par with them.
0: And they liked them too.
1: Oh, definitely. But again, we we don't see the beach boys having gotten the same treatment. But of course, I mean, were the beach boys the beach boys weren't the same the same type of group. I mean, right. like you look at you look at the Beatles and you look at A Hard Day's Night. And you could be like, oh, why didn't the Beach Boys get a movie? Because the Beach Boys can't act.
0: That's very like, true. Like we
1: have several bits of evidence of that. Mm-hmm. And it's like...
0: Maybe Mike. Maybe Mike. Maybe, maybe And Mike- I don't even want to say Dennis because in Tulane Blacktop... All Dennis did was basically say a couple of words, and then he'd get laid. That was it. He he
1: wasn't really acting. He was just looking really hot, which, of course, is a talent in itself. But still, they did not have the natural comfort in front of a camera, in front of an audience when they weren't singing that the Beatles had.
0: Yeah. And going back to why the Beach Boys didn't get the same kind of promotion, in an American family... As atrocious as that ABC thing was, there's a scene in which Murray is screaming at somebody from Capitol Records. I don't remember if it was Nick Vanette or somebody else about why the Beatles are getting all this promotion and and the Beach Boys are seemingly being ignored. And um, I seem to remember from uh, a Beatles expert named Bruce Spicer, who's If you you like the Beatles and you haven't read anything Bruce Spicer has written, you are missing out on some some really, really good stuff. But he pointed out how when the Beatles were signed to Capitol Records, Brian Epstein, Epstein, however you choose to say his name, said, well, okay, but you have to spend, I think it was what, $75,000 on promotion, which back then was like unheard of. And I'm still trying to figure out how they were able to do that because- Capitol Records turned the Beatles down four times, Mm -hmm. including I Want to Hold Your Hand. They had to go over... Dave Dexter Jr. Dave Dexter Jr. was in charge of foreign product. They had to go over his head directly to the president of Capitol Records and say why will you not release our records?
1: And wasn't Alan Livingston only convinced because his wife
0: He was on the fence. He was like I don't know. And his his wife wife... said you gotta put these guys out.
1: So even there it was kind of a hard sell.
0: But I'm just wondering how they were able to do that because they were at the mercy the Beatles were at the mercy of Capitol Records. They were in no position to make demands. Well, yeah, because so I want to know how they managed to pull that off.
1: I don't know. I, I that's one thing about their story that I'm still a little confused about. I mean, all I can think of was just the building and growing interest in them. Could be that they were kind of, and I mean, rightly so because you look at the state of music in. Late 1963.
0: Tell the story about when you played some of the some of oh, the 1963 man. music for your in students. My,
1: no, in my in my it was the first year that I was at the school I'm at now, so we're talking about 2007 2008. And a fellow teacher was doing some lesson, and she asked me to be a guest speaker in that class about something to do with the Beatles. I forget what the whole deal was, but I know I. Kind of did, took a page from one of Bruce Beiser's presentations at Beatle Fest, where he played the number one single, The Week Before I Want to Hold Your Hand, and like the song from the number one album, The Week Before. So you had There I Said It Again by Bobby Vinton or V? One, one of, of the two
0: Bobbies that start that has a V yeah. last name.
1: And then the other was Dominique by the singing nun. Ah,
0: Sister Sue here.
1: And it's like, okay, this is why we needed the Beatles because this is what this is what was considered hit worthy in, <laughs> in late 1963 because Paola had severely damaged a lot of things. And yes, you did have some cool stuff coming up. You had you had Jan and Dean. You had Motown. You had. Like there was stuff that was young and fun, but there were still a lot of crooners and acts that were that could have been from 1958. Things weren't moving forward for the kids. I mean, you listen to some of the stuff from then. And then you listen to She Loves You or I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah. And it's like when Dorothy comes out of the, ha- of the dreary Kansas existence and everything's in technicolor.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it goes back to uh, late 63 when that girl, I forgot her name wrote to her favorite DJ in Washington, D.C. His, his name was Carol something. I can't remember his name off the top no, of my head. No, I think head. the
1: girl's name was Carol. Wasn't the DJ? The, the
0: DJ's name was Carol, I'm pretty oh, okay. sure. okay, But she wrote to him and said, hey, there's this song, She Loves You, that my dad brought home from England. It's by this group called The Beatles. It's really cool. Why can't we have that music here? Mm-hmm. So Carol tells a friend of his who is a, a stewardess, because I can say stewardess because that's what they were yeah. called then, yeah. so <laughs> shut up, everybody. Next time you go to England, could you bring back the latest single from this group called The Beatles? And she did, and it was I Want to Hold Your Hand. So, he invited that girl to come to the station to be the one to present it to his listening audience. And there's a recording of it, too.
1: But, I mean, it's new. It's different. Yep. It's fresh. It's exciting. And also, too, just like when you listen to one of those songs... Alongside of other songs from that era, just the recording quality itself yeah. was very crisp and clean and fresh. I mean they weren't they weren't doing anything different. They were still only recording on what three tracks. Well, I
0: want to hold your hand was on four tracks, oh, it was. and before okay. before that they were using only two.
1: Okay, but
0: so but EMI in England had state of the art technology.
1: Yeah, they had the guys in the lab coats. Yep. <laughs> but it just sounded. So much better than what had been out there. yeah, keep in mind we're we're listening from the advantage of historical perspective. because we we're young. we I mean, we weren't around at the time, but no. just listening to the stuff and just getting an idea of what kind of songs were hits in the early sixties and the difference when the Beatles came along. Yeah, but of course, the Beach Boys had already been out there because the mm-hmm. Beach Boys, the Beach Boys were putting out songs in 1962 and 63 yep. that were fresh and young and vibrant. And every and new,
0: every just about every new single they were putting out was a bigger hit than the previous one. Ten Little Indians being a very very notable exception. Yeah,
1: let's not ever <laughs> ever ever talk about that ever, and let's forget it ever happened. Thank you. But why weren't they? getting beetle level attention. Why wasn't it the California invasion you know, as opposed to the British invasion? Like they were successful, but why were the Beetles like literally threatening to take everything away?
0: Because for one thing they were British, they were European, they were exotic and those weird haircuts.
1: You mean the same haircut Dennis had? Which is really
0: interesting (laughs) because I don't know if you've heard it, but I've heard a recording that the the Beach Boys did in Sweden, probably around 64. The host was talking to Dennis and said, why are you wearing beetle hair? He said, I'm not wearing beetle hair. I'm wearing my hair.
1: Yeah, that's like if you look back at pictures of Dennis, that's the same way he had been wearing his hair since like nineteen sixty two. Yeah. Like the Paradise Cove pictures. Yeah, it's a where, little it's a
0: little bit different, but, but it's still, the same length thereabout.
1: He wasn't doing like It wasn't
0: like mop top style, but it was similar.
1: Yeah, I mean but he had been wearing his hair like that since probably at least sixty two, if not earlier.
0: That was like Southern California beach person hair. Yeah, because
1: that's how he has his hair in the Paradise Cove pictures. Yep. But all of a sudden, oh, it's Beatle. No, it's not beetle hair, <laughs> but like nobody, nobody went bananas over like, oh, Dennis has long hair, and it's like, no. Like, well, also,
0: he was in the back of the drums. Well, like, true. But then again, all the girls were paying attention to him because you know, wouldn't you if you were if if you saw Dennis there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you, part of the Beatles envy is how come they didn't get the Beach Boys didn't get as much of a hard time as the Beatles. <laughs> Like we wanted oh. them to have more problems. Well, again, oh, I know. <laughs> oh. And they would have more oh. problems. But do you get what I'm what saying? You wish for. Do you get what I'm saying?
0: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah. also, I think it was kind of understood. Oh, that's that California culture here. You know.
1: Yeah, California culture, which everybody was going crazy for,
0: including eventually the Brits.
1: Well, yeah. I brought back from England. A section of the Sunday Times. It was a little special supplement that had the 50 best beaches in the UK. Yeah. And me being from the United States, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know they have, I know there are beaches in the UK, but you just don't ever think about it. And I'm slowly going through this. I haven't even finished reading the whole thing, but it's like, there are beaches in England where you can you can take surfing lessons. They have like all the things that yep. beaches here have. And I'm I'm really quite astounded by that.
0: Hey, why not? They have a coast.
1: Yeah, but you just, you think, oh, Do you think like. you ever think
0: a small country like the UK has 50 beaches?
1: Yeah. Well, there's and there's many more that weren't. Yep. These are just uh, exactly. the best Those ones. are the
0: best ones, yeah. These
1: are just ones that have a lot of either beautiful um, scenery or kind of unspoiled coastline, you know, where you're not going to have like a million people there. Yeah. A lot of littering and stuff like that. But there's also plenty of beaches that have places to eat, little beach huts you can rent to keep your stuff in and and change your clothes and dog-friendly areas and lifeguards. And, I mean, because in this guide, they list all these amenities. And it's like, I never really realized that. There are beaches on the Thames. Yeah. Well, tiny ones. Tiny
0: ones, but still beaches. And you probably shouldn't swim in them, you know.
1: But it's like the the whole thing about beach culture, I mean, that's – at least in the United States, came from the kind of the rise of California yep. and Florida, you know, kind of two different things. Yeah. I think Florida became more of an attraction both when air conditioning became much easier to get and also air travel. Yes. That it became much easier. To, because I mean, of course, you could go to Florida from New York City on a train, and that would take like an overnight trip, or you can drive there in twenty hours, something. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty hefty drive, but then you can also board an airplane and be there in three hours. Yeah. But I think California was more the road trip kind of thing for a long time, or
0: taking the Mother Road.
1: Yeah, to going on Route sixty six and. The whole manifest destiny uh, there yep. was, there was much to be a lot of mythology about California. And that was always the appeal. And the Beach Boys were definitely part of that. But again, they weren't getting the same attention that the Beatles got. No. But of course, does it really matter? Does we're it
0: still matter? talking about people, <laughs> the Beach Boys came. To us, and by us, I mean the world, the country, the United States, where we are, in 1961 at the end of the year. We're still talking about them 60 some years later. We're still buying their music. I mean, geez, just in the last year, we had the sale um, on Sailor. Sailor uh, I don't know, well, it's not really a box, but you know what I mean. Yeah, CD uh, set. Yeah, so there's still stuff coming out from them that we want to hear. So. I don't know. Is it? Does it really matter at this point? It probably doesn't matter, because the Beatles and the Beach Boys, as we knew them, are pretty much over. Let's just be realistic. But back then, when they were contemporary, probably it mean it would mean a hell of a lot more.
1: Well, I think it's also the whole the whole idea that you have to you have to have a rivalry. You have you well, can't yeah. just look at these different. Factions and be like, oh, they're like, they're all cool with each other. I mean, it's like, okay, going back to like the Bears and the Packers at the end of a game, chances are you're going to see a bunch of guys before they leave the field in a circle kneeling in prayer. You're going to see Bears and Packers players shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Some years ago. I went to lunch with a colleague of mine. This was before I was a teacher. And when we got to the restaurant, there happened to be a bunch of news vans in the parking lot because there was something that had happened, some kind of crime or whatever. And I think one of the people involved worked at that restaurant. So they were all there to interview the manager or something. And the woman I was with, her sister was a reporter for one of the TV Mm -hmm. stations and she was there. So they, they had some time to kill. So she sat down and, and had lunch with us. Now you always think all these news stations are in heavy competition with each other to get the stories, to get the ratings, blah, 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 blah. But yet everybody, all the reporters were chit chatting with each other. People were like going into each other's news vans to check different footage. I mean, like, there was no cutthroat, bloodthirsty competition. Yeah, and they were sharing
0: notes with each they other, They were sharing
1: too. notes, sharing information. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff is often manufactured. Oh, yeah. I mean, how much did we hear over the years people claiming there was some kind of rivalry between the Beatles and the Stones?
0: Which, yeah, there was and there wasn't. There more, more wasn't, because they were always hanging out they with each friends. other. They were friends. Yeah. They were all friends. And the, oh, the best thing that I, I love, I took Richard Porter's walking tour, uh, one of his, he has two different Beatles walking tours in London. The one that I took, it was mostly around in and around Soho. And we went over to Carnaby Street, and he pointed out this big mural on one of the buildings that was obviously a... Oh, I hate to say rip off. Yeah, I'm just gonna say it. it was a rip off of the Sergeant Pepper's album cover, and he said, "Oh, by the way, look below the mural, and there was a sign with the Rolling Stones tongue logo." He said, "The Rolling Stones own this store." <laughs> well, he said, "Isn't this great? Uh, yeah, this great rivalry between them, and the Rolling Stones have a Beatles thing on their on their wall."
1: And I mean, gee, who's hanging out at? Uh... When they filmed "All You Need Is Love," Mick Jagger.
0: Yeah, Mick Jagger. I think Keith was in that too, and uh, Rock and Roll Circus too.
1: Yep. Yeah, where you? The bad? Dirty
0: Mac had John Lennon and Keith Richards.
1: Yeah, so it's <laughs> like, like they were
0: friends. They were. Fr- I mean, and who wrote the Rolling Stones' first big hit in England?
1: Well, wasn't that the song that they that John didn't want to be seen with?
0: Oh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna be your man.
0: Uh, yep. bed. Yep. yep. It was a Lennon McCartney song.
1: Man. But yeah but yeah so, it was a
0: song they didn't want they're like here you can have this one and it I turned mean, out to be a hit I mean and the it, Beatles were like well we're gonna record it too
1: then <laughs> so it's like and I mean we didn't really know we didn't I don't think we really knew about anything you know there were people who assumed there was a rivalry yeah. between the Beatles and the Beach Boys we didn't really know until David Leaf's 1990 interview with Paul McCartney really of the regard that the Beach Boys, or the Beatles had for the Beach Boys, right? I don't know. Well, we, you and I didn't, of course. But I think that was the first time Paul really spoke about Pet Sounds. Might have
0: been. And Might have how
1: been. important it was to him and just the album. And God Only Knows in particular, you know, when he said that he bought that album for each of his kids as part of their musical education. I mean, that is... That was stunningly high praise. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we all were like, holy... Ah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was like getting the hand of God. <laughs> but really, Paul himself may have been like, what? You, you think I didn't listen to this stuff? Like, <laughs> I mean, of course I did. And then we found out how, like, Brian flipped out over Rubber Soul.
0: Specifically the American version, because people wondered, oh, was it maybe the UK version he might have gotten? No, Brian himself said it was the American version on Capitol Records. Yeah,
1: so Brian listened to Rubber Soul. Yep. He's like, okay, I want to make a record that's as good as this. So then he made Pet Sounds.
0: He kind of overdid it if he wanted to make (laughs) an, an album that was as good as Rubber Soul, if you ask me.
1: Well, I mean, Rubber Soul is... I mean, I would never put Rubber Soul alongside Pet Sounds in terms of quality of songwriting of production, but Rubber Soul is tremendously important and something I would put it alongside Pet Sounds in terms of expressing more than just, I'm in love with a girl, moon in June and yeah. all of that crap. Like, Kind of getting a little more serious, a little more mature, yeah, expressing doubts, expressing just a lot of things that you normally didn't have young guys talking about on a record, and that's pretty mind blowing I mean yeah. yeah Brian didn't write about having a one night stand with a girl, but Brian did write about insecurity and a brand new love affair is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. But if you're not careful, think about the pain it can bring. Like we, we didn't have a lot of that. Nope. Like a lot of the music you had was like, again, I'm in love with a girl and I'm so happy and yay and whatever. But the Beatles, it, it's almost like with Brian, it, I think the Beatles almost normalized, like it's okay to go off in different directions. Brian was already starting to do that, but this was kind of like, Hey. Yeah, again. It's normalizing it. It's like this mm-hmm. is this is definitely the right thing to do. Yeah. And then of course the Beatles heard pet sounds and that said, "Okay, that probably normalized for them doing more ambitious instrumentation and kind of going off in different directions, which, again, they were already starting
0: to Oh, yeah. Oh, they were always doing that.
1: Because things like saying... Brian and the
0: Beatles were always doing that from day one, you could argue.
1: But they were building and building and building.
0: They were building and building and building, and they were both doing it in different ways.
1: Yeah. And using the, the Beatles may have also looked at towards... I think they did look towards Brian as using the recording studio as an instrument in itself.
0: Yes. And the Beatles approached it in a completely different way from how Brian did. Because when you think of the advancements in Brian's productions, there wasn't anything hugely technological about them, except maybe having a few additional tracks on the tape to work with. And that was it. The Beatles would reach out to the Abbey Road engineering staff and say, we want you to build this for us. Yeah. Figure out a way to make me sound like I'm double-tracked, even though I'm not. And uh, throw in some backwards tapes here. Mm-hmm. How many Beach Boys songs do you know of that have backwards <laughs> recordings? Yeah, like, they didn't. But I think that- I can think of one, and that was Feel Flows with the backwards, backwards reverb on it.
1: Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I mean, the Beatles... Well, also, to be fair, the Beatles were all interested in... Avant-garde. Yes, they were interested. Well,
0: they were in, art students. Well, really, with well, especially yeah. John.
1: Well, John was the only one. He was who the one
0: officially an art student. Art yeah.
1: but Paul had the Indica Gallery, yeah. and I mean, I think George and Ringo. It may not be what they were personally interested in, but they liked the environment of bringing in different. Well, and yes. George brought in um, the sitar, the Indian instruments. Yeah. That kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, Brian was more like using the studio to make, to give him what he wanted. Yeah. To get the sounds out of his head and onto tape, where the Beatles were much more experimental.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, like, Brian's experimentations were much more organic rather than constructed. Yeah. Like, it's something I pointed out in my aforementioned rambling about the Surfer Girl album. If you listen to the rhythm track of Catch a Wave, you'll hear Brian's rhythm piano in perfect, dead-on, balls-accurate sync with David Marks' rhythm guitar. And put those two things together, they sound like a brand new instrument. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a trademark of Brian. And the more... People he gets together playing the same thing at the same time with different instruments, especially in a small room like Studio 3 at Western. That's a new instrument. That's essentially a new virtual instrument right there. wasn't
1: that something that, at the very least, Paul took note of? Brian using different sounds to create a new sound? Like, bringing sounds together to create a new sound? He might have.
0: I don't don't know for sure. Well, I
1: think, in particular, using the bass in a much more prominent way, like bringing up the bass. Yes. Like having the bass take on the melody or mimic the melody. I think that's something that really got Paul's attention. Well, yeah, his
0: whole thing was realizing, wait a minute, I'm listening to the bass in these Brian Wilson productions. The bass isn't just playing the root notes. The bass is its own melody in, in and of itself. Like, And uh, I think God Only Knows might be one reason Absolutely. why Paul loves that song because... When you start the verse, the, the actual start of the verse, it's a D chord. The bass is playing an A instead of a D.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, also, I mean, that's, that's something... So Paul's
0: like, wait, yeah, that's right. You don't have to have the root note there.
1: Something that I like to do, and I highly encourage this activity. Listen to God Only Knows. Okay. And only pay attention to oh. the bass line. Hmm. Because the bass line goes... All over the place. It's doing its own thing. Yep. It goes very, I mean, it goes pretty high up and then it drops down low. Like it meanders all over the place and it's perfect. Yep. It's absolutely perfect. But that's the thing. Paul may have been like, oh my God, you can, you can do this.
0: Yeah, And you can actually he- start to hear him. Where he's actually doing that or where McCartney's actually doing that. Because if you listen to a lot of the outtakes, say from 66, 67, you'll notice there's no bass. Why is there no bass? Because Paul wanted to spend extra time fiddling around, coming up with these melodies and overdub them later. Yeah. And then when you actually hear those bass lines that McCartney was doing, you can see, aha, he discovered something. Yeah. He discovered something. And Brian was that something.
1: Yeah, and you had, I mean, you just had this, like, back and forth for a little while. And it kind of ended with Sergeant Pepper, because first, I mean, Smile didn't come out. And then the Beatles, well, I mean, the Beatles had, I think, their own thing going on, because here they put out, they put out Sergeant Pepper. And then it's kind of like, okay, now what? Yeah. (laughs) I mean I'm not saying they were sitting around having no clue what to do but the fact is you had Sgt Pepper you had all you need is love and then Brian Epstein died. Yeah. Which completely threw them for a loop. Mm-hmm. That I dare say they never recovered from.
0: Oh, uh, most and, most Beatles fans will agree with and, that. that's what started that's what led to the breakup, Brian I mean, Brian dying.
1: What's what's yeah after after Magical Mystery Tour What's the next thing that they did?
0: They went to India.
1: They have the White Album, which is pretty minimalist compared to what they had been doing.
0: Just like Smiley Smile was minimalist compared to what they had, the Beach Boys had been doing. Ugh. And that's the thing. Like people, Here's something I want you to do for me and our listeners, because I don't have a way to do this right now. I want you to see if you can find when the Penny Lane Strawberry Fields Forever single came out in America. Because a lot of people, of course, blame Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club band for putting the kibosh on Smile, which, of course, Brian ended, kind of ended Smile in May. But Sgt. Pepper's didn't come out in the States until Jan, uh, June 2nd, came out in, on May 26th in the UK. But the thing is, Brian heard a little bit of it ahead of time. Like, Paul McCartney played him some bits from it. He said, hey, listen to what we're working on. I think he, I think Brian might have heard a day in the life. Uh, Paul demoed She's Leaving Home for him.
1: Okay, the single was released, Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields Forever, was released in the United States on February 13th, 1967, Uh and in the UK on February 17th.
0: So that's interesting because um, in the Beautiful Dreamer documentary, I forgot who it was who said that when Brian first heard Strawberry Fields Forever, he just kind of laughed and said all this stuff that I've been trying to do, the Beatles beat me to it, and kind of implied that that might have been what put the na- that was the final nail in the coffin for Smile. But of course, Brian was still working on Smile well into he May. Was
1: still, he was still working on he- like at that time he was working on Heroes and Villains.
0: Yeah, and having said that though, when you look towards the last few months of Smile. It sounds drastically different from the beginnings of Smile with Wonderful and Do You Like Worms and um, "Oh, what?" Uh, Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. Those last few tracks he did for Smile before officially shelving it were very minimalist. And, and there's a fine line between the beginning of Smiley Smile and the end of Smile. So, who knows? So, Brian might have said, okay, the Beatles already did this. I need to make an about face and do something different.
1: Or just he could have, like, if he laughed when he said that, he could have been like, I mean, he could have actually been like, all right, it's all over. Everything's been done. I'm just going to go cry in the corner and eat pound cake. Like, I mean, he could have said it to be funny and then just be like, okay, all right, get ready. Take two. <laughs>
0: and yeah, just, right.
1: And just oh, go back by the to way, what he
0: was doing. Around that time, we know what Brian's hair looked like. He had the mop top hair going. You
1: know? no, no, so, no, 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 no. Brian had pet sounds. hair. Yeah,
0: I okay. He had fine. Pet, <laughs> yeah,
1: I am not. I am not going to call his hairstyle mop top.
0: All right, that all was right. pet
1: sounds hair.
0: Fine. Okay,
1: but, let's. But not, do you get my point? Let's not be like that.
0: And of course, the one thing that Beach Boys fans love to point out repeatedly: the enemy poll winners. What was it? Nineteen
1: sixty-six. The Beach Boys won the the NM New Musical Express poll in England.
0: Yeah, over the Beatles, to, and
1: they got to headline the big concert that they had for this yeah. every year. And yeah, people in, say they
0: even beat the Beatles. Yeah, in your face, Beatles. <laughs> yeah,
1: except the fact that the Beatles really hadn't done much in
0: nineteen sixty-six. Yeah, seriously, like you're a British Beatles fan. What did the Beatles have out in 1966? They had "Revolver" and the paperback writer rain single, and yeah. I okay, and technically the Yellow Submarine and Eleanor Rigby single, but hey, that's part of "Revolver," really. Yeah, that was it, and they had a world tour.
1: Yeah, they were on tour, and then they took uh, they took some time off. Yeah, because that's when George made his first trip to India, mm-hmm. and well, George had also gotten married. Yeah in that year, I forget exactly when, but, and then Paul did the, um, the family way.
0: Yeah. He did the the score for for the
1: music for the movie, the family way. And Ringo was spending time with Maureen and,
0: and he also went to Spain with John.
1: Yeah. And John, that is around the time John met Yoko.
0: Yeah. And he was in a movie.
1: Yeah. He was in how I won the war. So they kind of took some time off And we're doing some other projects and probably just simply getting some vacation time.
0: Yeah. And they had just, they had one album, two singles. And and one of the singles was on the album. And
1: there was, there was a lot of, of scuttlebutt at the time, like, Oh, the beat, the the Beatles are breaking up. They're not, they're doing different things and they hate each other. And then of course, the wonderful clip that you can see in anthology when, uh, A reporter is outside of Abbey Road Studios and the various Beatles are showing up, walking in. And and he's trying to, you know, ask them, like, is it true the Beatles are breaking up? And George, like, practically laughs in the guy's face because they were on their way in to record a day in the life.
0: Very likely, at least.
1: It's like, it's like if you had only (laughs) any idea what we were showing up here to do. And it's like, of course, they're... Yeah, definitely. A band that's breaking up is going to show up for an evening recording session together. Yeah, right. That's how it always happens, yeah. isn't it?
0: But think about what was going on in the Beach Boys' world in the UK the time that of that enemy poll winners uh, contest. Well, I mean,
1: Pet Sounds was a huge hit. Pet
0: Sounds was a huge hit, and th- but not only that, but the Beach Boys had a very busy year in the UK because just album wise, in and of itself, in 1966, they released. In the UK, Beach Boys Party, followed by the Beach Boys Today, interestingly, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then Pet Sounds, all within the first half of the year. Mm -hmm. Pet Sounds actually was supposed to come out in November in the UK, but they rushed it out and got it out on June 27th. Which, by the way, reminds me of a time when uh, we were flipping through somebody's book at a bookstore or, or maybe a magazine article and it referred to uh, the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds album from June of 66. Yeah. That might have been a British author. Yeah. So, we got to give them a little slack. There. So, so, they had those three albums just within six months of each other. Barbara Ann was released as a single in 66. I don't know what the other, if they had any other singles at the time. They probably also had Sloop John B over there yeah. and, and those. Nice. wouldn't it be nice probably maybe caroline well then again
1: well wasn't god only knows a single there
0: well wasn't it would have been an a I would, mean an a side i i don't know i well, i'm not anyway. terribly familiar with their uk but discography because i forgot to look it up
1: they were a lot more prolific a lot more popular they had a very successful tour there and yep. yeah i mean the time was right i mean they they had every right to win that poll, sure. even even if the Beatles were busier that year.
0: And even but, then, the thing is, the Beach Boys were a new thing to England at well, the time. Yeah. They didn't really take off over there until about 65.
1: Yeah. Because they, I mean, I think the first Beach Boys record at all only came out there in 64.
0: that That's probably right. So, yeah.
1: But the point is, it wasn't like the Beach Boys won the NME poll because because the Beatles weren't Doing enough, I said. I I would say they won it on their own merit.
0: They could, they all could have,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Based on older material too.
1: Yeah, but I mean,
0: well, then again, the Beatles were a hit over here with older material yeah, and because it's like, we didn't get if, it till later. If
1: the kids hadn't had it yet, it was new to them. It, was it new doesn't to them, matter yeah. if it was recorded several years earlier because it was something they. Yeah, remember they didn't have the internet then. Yeah. <laughs> they only knew about stuff when it showed up in their record stores.
0: It was like how last year I was flipping out over Harry Nilsson's Aerial Ballet album. That came out what, 1967, I think, <laughs> but it was new to me.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so yeah, it's like Is there a need for Beatles Envy? Is it really necessary? Or is it just being negative and wasting energy?
0: I don't know. It depends on how the Beatles' envy is actually used. If it's used in a constructive way, then it could be quite a fun discussion discussion topic. But if it's used as a dismissive way, then you know, shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. I mean, one it's like, oh, th- I refuse to acknowledge the Beatles at all. And
1: <laughs> really, I mean, one thing I can say. If there's one one area that I have always had envy of, of the Beatles and other artists, not just the Beatles, is merchandise. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is one thing. and But I think that's more the fault of the Beach Boys and their management, that they didn't take opportunities to... Both back then and now. I mean, it was something that always frustrated me going into a place like Sam Goody in the eighties. And you had a whole rack of t-shirts from, you know, the Rolling Stones, The Who, The Doors, like all these like sixties, sixties and then, you know, seventies. And of course, current artists, you know, you could yeah. buy a Pink Floyd t-shirt. You buy a Doors t-shirt. You could buy like all these different bands that were. Around the same time as the Beach Boys, but you couldn't find a Beach Boys T-shirt. You couldn't find a Beach Boys poster, and the only way you you ever could get your hands on these things was like, maybe if you happen to get a promotional item, or like yeah, like somebody you know you know somebody who works at a record store who can give you the poster that they had for the nineteen eighty five album or something. Or I remember one time, there was some. Some potato chip, they were doing some promo with the Beach Boys. This was probably around maybe 1989. It's like, you know, you send in probably the little UPC code and a couple dollars, and they'll send you a Beach Boys t-shirt. I was like, okay, I'm all over that. <laughs> they said, you know, it had like a decent design on the front. The whole back of the t-shirt was an ad for this oh, stupid geez. potato chip. And I was like, no, I I put that in the bag for Goodwill. (laughs) I was like, I am not wearing this thing.
0: Could you get Beach Boys t-shirts at their concerts at the time? Well,
1: even that, like when I went to see them in 1989 for the first time and I was all like, oh, now I can finally get like a beach, you know, some Beach Boys merch. They only had like a few things, maybe a, a hat or two. They had a couple t shirts because I did get. Oh, please
0: tell me they had tube socks too. I
1: don't remember. Shut up. Uh, you know, maybe they had a beach towel. I don't know, but like they didn't have anything like the kind of shirt that's like the first thing you want to get at a concert that has like 1989 tour and on the back it has like all the dates. They didn't have anything like that. Wow. Like the shirt that I got, I mean, I remember it had kind of a, um, like a pixely looking surfer in like blue and white with like the Beach Boys logo in hot pink. And it was the same design on the front and the back, and that's it. And like everything that they had was just very generic. And like no posters, no pins, no stickers, no magnets. It was really disappointing that they only had a couple things and it wasn't even like the kind of stuff you expect to get at a, at a rock concert. So I guess, and I mean, it could have been just that particular time. Like other tours may have had better merch, but still they just were never good at that. And they're not good at that to this That's day. That's true. Cause it's still very, very hard to find anything. I mean, I did get all happy because I happen to look at like once in a while, I look at the, the Beach Boys store and they actually have some pretty cool stuff there, but it's not so much for the concerts. It's like just general Beach Boys stuff, but it's really nice looking stuff. It's stuff I wish I could have bought back then, but it's like they just never put out merch the way other artists did yeah. and still do. Because, again, you can go to a lot of places and get licensed merchandise from those artists. And it's available in stores. Mm -hmm. Where the Beach Boys, you're just not going to find that. few and
0: far between, yeah. When I went to see the Beach Boys in 1996, when I was wearing an unlicensed Smile (laughs) t-shirt, I never even thought to look for t-shirts or any other merch at the concert. I just went to go and maybe see if maybe there was a way I could say get autographs or something, but that was it. Uh, Spoiler alert, no, I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's one thing in particular that certainly does not help this whole Beatles Envy thing. You go to, say, and yes, they still exist, a record store or somewhere where you can buy CDs and or records You have to go to the same section to get Beatles and Beach Boys. You have to go to where the BEA stuff is. So, people who love the Beach Boys and hate the Beatles are going to see. It's going to be in their faces. You go to Amoeba Music. Right above the section, there are going to be albums on display. If you see a Beatles album there, you're going to be like, But Mind you, sometimes you do see a Beach Boys album and big, big of, of music but hanging But what there. is
1: kind of lovely is that, now we know that, say, a band like the Bo Brummels... Yes. ...named themselves such... Because. ...so that they would be right behind the Beatles, so if kids were flipping through at a record store... They'd see the Bob Brummels right behind the Beatles. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm an idiot. That's gonna, I'm going to buy a record just because it's next to the Beatles. Or their parents
0: but, or grandparents.
1: Yeah, it's like, well, I couldn't get you that Beatles record, but these Bo Brummels are, are just they, like Or them. they don't
0: even realize that it's not the Beatles.
1: <laughs> but the Beach Boys, it is kind of darling that, I mean, considering that the Beach Boys were contracted recording artists a good almost year before the Beatles were. So they already had a B E A name so that for all of eternity, they would come first in the record stores. Yeah.
0: And to be quite honest, like when I was getting tired of listening to the monkeys and the Beatles for like two years straight, well, one year for the Beatles and I decided I needed to branch out. And I figured, well, if I go a little bit back in the alphabet, there's the yeah. Beach Boys. Yeah. And I never turned them off when they are on the radio except for I get around. Yeah. I, I, I've already talked about my hatred for that song, so I'm not going to get into it. But Good. So, yeah. And, that, and so, that's another way the Beatles were kind of a gateway. Because if my logic was, well, let's see if taking a little step back alphabetically, I can find some more music to listen to. And here I am talking about it with my wife mm-hmm. some 35 years later, 34 years. But,
1: but it is quite lovely that in any music store, the Beach Boys are always going to come first. They're going to
0: come first, Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they are always going to be ahead of the Beatles. Yep. So in that way, we win.
0: Who wins? Who's we?
1: We. Just we. Define We because remember i'm a
0: beatles fan first
1: yeah but but the thing is you want the beach boys to get everything they can get oh so.
0: absolutely <laughs> I, absolutely and i do want to shove copies of sunflower in holland and everybody's face that i see walking past walking down the street you know? <laughs> but still i mean okay so we went we're all winners here on uh, to an x podcast we all are the hosts the listeners and everybody
1: One more thing I do want to say Mm. is I think we were talking about this recently while walking the dog. I think you had said something about how the Beatles had more of an impact on fashion, art, trends. Just culture in general. Just culture in general. But, but, so did the Beach Boys in a way because, again... Not so much. I mean, what the Beatles had to offer was new and different. Yeah. But the Beach Boys brought the ocean to everybody. They helped or they helped with that.
0: They helped with that. They they helped with that. And uh, Bruce Brown with The Endless Summer, I would argue, was also instrumental in that.
1: Yeah, but that was later because that movie didn't even get
0: a wide release release until
1: 1966. Yeah. And also that, I mean, that was a movie you had to go to see where you could see it. The Beach Boys were coming out of every kid's transistor radio and car radio. So kids living in Kansas and Oklahoma and Montana were hearing the Beach Boys Mm -hmm. and were thinking about the ocean and just getting vibes of things that just weren't part of their everyday experience. There are a number of people who moved to where they moved to, because of part of that. Yeah. And I mean, again, that was part of a bit, a whole big cultural thing that California was put out there as so many different things. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, I mean, even to this day, okay, there's a business that you see advertised on TV called California Closets.
0: Yep.
1: All right. I don't think closets are any better in California. I don't think they're any different. I don't think there's anything about the state that makes closets particular to them. But it's better than calling it, say, Delaware closets. <laughs> <laughs> you know <what> I mean,
0: <laughs> or Sheboygan closets. Yeah,
1: yeah. You're not, you're not going to get that. So it's like there's always this this thing that goes with california yeah. and of course a lot of people who go who actually go to california realize that california is not the same all over
0: i wanted to say before like we you and i have been to all of coastal california from Pretty san much. diego all the way up to the oregon border yeah and what did I say about my impressions of California? No two places in California are alike. Well, no.
1: And there's like significant differences between southern and southern, central and northern. And when you go further inland, it's yep. completely different. Yep. It's beautiful and it's amazing in its own way. And there's also a lot of California that is just Suburban towns with tract houses and big box stores and zero charm. I mean, there's plenty of that, too. Of
0: course, yeah.
1: But it's like, it's still, it's one of the greatest mythologies ever. Well,
0: Well, and the Beach Boys were part of that California marketing.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, even Brian's That Lucky Old Son. Oh, big time. Even in 2008, Brian was still... Perpetuating that, you know, perpetuating kind of this mythology of California, yeah. which again, in which um, I
0: learned, it's really just L.A. He's singing about, not yeah. even anything else outside of Los Angeles. But
1: even still, it's very romantic. Oh and yeah, idealized.
0: He even makes Chop Shop sound romantic.
1: <laughs> or if there's a bum, there's a clean. It's a <laughs> clean bum.
0: It's a happy bum. It's a
1: happy bum. <laughs> It's a bum who is...
0: It's a bum who has the heartbeat of L.A.
1: Exactly. Even the bum has the heartbeat of L.A. But But yeah,
0: the Beach Boys were just yet another California marketing tool, while the Beatles were basically changing society. America could not tolerate boys with long hair until the Beatles came over. People learned to speak English because of the Beatles. How many can say the same thing about the Beach Boys? I'm sure they exist, but you know...
1: Yeah, it's it's like it was a much further-reaching worldwide impact. Yeah. But still, you can't discount the Beach Boys' role in of course. culture and influence. Like, it's definitely there.
0: It is. We spent vacation time in places because of both the Beatles and the Beach Boys.
1: True, true. So,
0: yeah. And, um... I'm out of things to talk about now. <laughs> How about you?
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay, so I, think I we guess should, we should. Can... We should go like go out to okay. dinner.
0: Yeah, let's get <laughs> some dinner and. Um, it's like
1: what it's what Brian would do. It's
0: he absolutely would. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you all for listening to episode 18. We'll be back with episode 19 on a different day.
1: Yeah, not today.
0: No. All right, so Sean saying bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the TuneX podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or iTunes.
1: You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and just about every other provider out there. If Tunex isn't on your favorite provider, please let us know.
0: You can email us at tunexpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the show notes, is tunex.fab4it.com. Fab 4-I-T is spelled F-A-B and then the number 4 and then I-T.
1: Feel free to connect with us on social media. Tunex is on Facebook and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handle of Tunex Podcast.
0: Our opening and closing theme, Melody 10, was written and performed by Scattered Frog.
1: We'll talk to you next time, friends. Until then, don't Don't back back down down from from that that wave. wave.